Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Saved. The bulls got saved again. Ever since the market bottomed over a decade ago, good things just seemed to come out of nowhere. Like today, where the president's trade deal sent the Dow surging 193 points, S&P gained 0.36%, and NASDAQ dipped 0.11%. Last week, I was worried beyond belief, frankly, about what looked like the dissolution of the always cordial relationship between the United States and Canada. I know they didn't show up for Vietnam. But we've had a great relationship with Canada for ages. And last week, it seemed to be fraying when the president took pot shots at Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his trade representative, Christian Freeland. I was astonished at the brazenness of President Trump's insults. So we went in the weekend believing that while we had a very solid deal lined up with Mexico, it was a distinct possibility that we were about to blow up our relationship with the country that 36 states count as our largest trading partner. In fact, because we're all joined together in NAFTA, many people worried that without Canada, we'd lose the Mexican part of the deal, too. Then, right in the middle of the Sunday afternoon spent watching football, the news broke that Canada had folded, that it accepted the insults with a plum. And the U.S. got a much better deal than we had, one that's particularly good for the American auto industry. If you were worried the president was going to tear up NAFTA, this was a hugely positive development. It was a win, a W. Suddenly, whole sectors that had looked like they might be rolling over, sectors like the rails, well, they catch bids. Kansas City Southern, KSU, which brings so many cars to the U.S. from Mexico, saw its stock soar. So did Union Pacific, Norfolk Southern, which also stand to gain from the agreement. Auto parts makers, many of which were stuck in the middle, exploded higher. Lear and Magna took off as certainty was at last upon them. Steel companies with auto business rallied, including Nucor, which bizarrely has been a dud ever since the government imposed tariffs on foreign steel. It was a radical change in the narrative, something that caught many bulls by surprise on this first day of the new quarter and left bears stunned as they were all set to pounce on tech and transports alike. Now, because of the incredible twist of Canadian fate, there's a newfound belief that China might be ready to fold too, especially since China's reported a slowdown in manufacturing this very weekend. We thought that the Chinese were taking a long view, or at least that they were hoping to run out the midterm elections, but the stocks of companies that would benefit the most from China coming to the table saw their stocks vault higher today. Now, if you had told me that the stock of Boeing would hit a new all-time high while the trade dispute continues to rage, I would advise you to get your head examined. Boeing sells one out of every four planes to China. People have been fretting about this business since January. But there it was, up 10 bucks, busting through the $372 ceiling, going right through to $382. Now, of course, there is no deal with China. 
It seems like things are pretty frosty between our government and theirs. However, things look pretty tense between the U.S. and Canada on Friday, and everything still worked out. So now you got to wonder if the same thing will happen with China, although admittedly the Chinese Communist Party probably has more backbone than Justin Trudeau. Still, we have more leverage than they do. If only because China exports $500 billion worth of goods to our markets, we only get to sell them about $125 billion. Nevertheless, until this weekend, there wasn't much reason to think that they'd compromise anytime soon. Now, though, the bears have to be thinking, hmm, maybe the Chinese are afraid, too. I've always been in the opinion that China's a bit of a paper tiger. But the consensus view on Wall Street is just the opposite of that. The fact that Canada basically got shamed into making a deal may be forcing those supposed experts to change their calculus on China. And look, the trade deal wasn't even the only thing that was saved this weekend. Let's look at Tesla. Last Thursday, Elon Musk spurned a deal from the SEC that would have been very positive. I mean, both for him and for the shareholders. Some independent directors and independent chairman with a company pretty much getting a slap on the wrist. It was positively insane that Musk walked away from that deal and risked the wrath of the federal government. Sure enough, this weekend, Musk came to his senses and agreed to the board changes, accepted a $20 million fine, as did the company, and acceded to a ruling that his tweets need adult supervision. No sooner did he sign that than we learned that Tesla, of course, made 80,000 Model 3 cars in the third quarter, much better than even the bulls expected. So we leave the office Friday believing that Musk could be fighting the SEC for no reason, something that put his whole company in jeopardy. We come in on Monday, and he's ensconced safer than ever with much better corporate governance and better numbers. It's a fairytale ending to a very dicey situation. Finally, there's General Electric. Now, this company had been kind of a let's call it an Achilles heel for the market, a once gigantic colossus that strode the earth. But thanks to a series of terrible decisions by Jeff Immel, the former CEO, the company had turned into an unmitigated disaster. 13 months ago, GE picked an insider, John Flannery, to try to turn the business around. During his tenure, the stock dropped about 50% and the dividend was cut. Today, Flannery got fired for moving too slowly. I found it a little astounding given that G had so much work, had so much wrong with it when he took over. The situation was so bad that it was hard to fathom just how much was needed to be done to turn things around in such a short period of time. We learn once again that G is doing far worse than we thought, that the power division is even more of a disaster, and there's no easy fix whatsoever. At the same time, though, the company appointed board member Larry Culp, a brilliant manager who used to run a fabulous company, Danaher, DHR, to replace Flannery and put an end to the negative surprise chatter. Uh, The response, the stock surged more than 7% today although it was up a lot more at one point. Now, the skeptical analysts remain skeptical, and with good reason. There were no details given how GE's doing. But when you boot a CEO after just 13 months, the presumption is that the company's doing far worse than you think. Otherwise, why not let Flannery muddle through, right? It's a brutal move, but Wall Street loved it, even if it didn't make any of the bearish analysts change their minds. Maybe they'll become more positive once the full story is known. Now, the Bulls, uh, they won't win every contest. There were a bunch of tech stocks that rallied last week, notably the Cloud Kings, that opened strong today, and then they reversed in what was called an island reversal, a negative sign. Social media stocks, well, once again, they got shelled. Facebook up nice early on, quite visibly went right back down. The bottom line, though? What matters is that the Bulls once again snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. That's been the story for the year, for the decade. And it remains the story as we turn the corner on a brand new quarter. Let's go to Andy in New York. Andy! Hey, what's up, Jim? Go Flyers! Go Flyers? Yeah, absolutely. The Flyers, definitely. (laughs) 
Hey, man, I wanted to talk about WWE, World Wrestling Entertainment. Uh, I started to buy in at $18 a share when I saw them pack 100,000 people at AT&T Stadium at WrestleMania 32. Right. Now, the stock price has recently been flirting with triple digits. Uh, WWE has a growing international appeal with shows coming up in Australia, Saudi Arabia, and the SummerSlam weekend will be in Toronto next year. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, all sorts of mergers are happening with SmackDown airing on Fox in 2019, and Comcast recently won the bidding war against Fox and Disney for Sky Sports. So with WWE Network subscribers on the rise and live TV ratings not quite where it used to be, I guess a product of the media landscape, how high can this thing go? Well, it's already up 200% for the year, so I can't come out, come out on top of a 200% move and say, you know what, there's still a lot left. Andy, you know the story very well. I cannot bless it up here. It's too high. And I liked it for a long time. Let's go to Ken in Michigan. Ken! Booyah, Professor Kramer. Thank you so much for giving me that tenure. How can I help? Uh, Jim, I, I bought Cintas last week before earnings. Good. And right. uh, they gave uh, great guidance and a, a deep on top and bottom, but the stock is down 8% now. I just want to get your opinion on this. I thought it was fine. I've got to tell you, the thing had just had such a big run. It would not surprise me if we look back and say that was the time to buy Cintas. So I'm not backing away from that one one bit. No way. How about Madeline in the state where the Eagles lost this weekend? Madeline, Tennessee, Madeline. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course, Madeline. My question is about Kraft Heinz. It has become the single worst performer in my RI account, down 23.5%. I know that Kraft is trying to diversify and has recently purchased a coffee bean company. Should I sell this stock realizing that I will not be able to take a tax loss since it's in my RA, RA or should I hold it? I think you should hold it, but if it goes back to, say, 60, where it's been flirting, then I think you got to sell it. Yields 4.5% probably won't go much lower, but I do not like the company. I don't like the business. It's slowing. I say no thank you. All right, the Bulls got saved again. Sure, they won't win at all, but wow. What a way to start the quarter. Oh, man, money tonight. Survey says it's family feud. May have money style. I'll tell you how to play Survey Monkey's IPO. Then it's Survivor Amazon. But Jeff Probst isn't hosting. I am. I'm going to point out the stocks that have been able to thrive despite action from the Death Star. And even after last night's deal with Canada, I'm explaining why I'm apprehensive going into the fourth quarter. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening what it all means get the truth not the spin the news with shepherd smith subscribe to the podcast today while we were out in silicon valley last week i kept hearing one word over and over again personalization 
As companies learn more and more about their customers, think about all the data they have on you. It's, it's kind of creepy, isn't it? They're coming up with new ways to differentiate their products by tailoring them to individuals. But for this personalization theme to work, businesses need information. Maybe that's why SurveyMonkey had such an incredible IPO last week. Yep, on Wednesday, a little company called SVMK, the cloud-based provider of survey software, better, it's better known as SurveyMonkey, came public with a bang. The stock was supposed to price somewhere between $9 and $11, but the bankers clearly underestimated the appetite for this thing because they had to raise the price to 12 bucks. And then when it started trading, SVMK immediately spiked to $18.75. While the stock ended up pulling back from these levels, closing at $17.24, that still gave anyone who got in on the deal a magnificent 44% gain. Over the next couple of days, though, this thing has slipped a dollar and a half. Now it's at $15.70. So which move is telling the truth here, the explosive initial spike or the profit taking we've seen since then? Let's dig deeper to find out. First of all, you need to understand the business model. For those of you who aren't hopelessly addicted to the internet, SurveyMonkey's cloud-based software makes it easy to conduct online surveys. You want to measure consumer sentiment or gauge employee engagement? They have the tools to do that. They even use artificial intelligence to help their clients design the most effective surveys. The company has a more limited free version of its software, but if you want all the bells and whistles, uh, security, branding, analysis, which people do, you need to pay up for the enterprise version. When it comes to online surveys, I don't think anyone's even close to these guys. But is that really enough in this environment? Let's consider the financials. In the first six months of the year, SurveyMonkey saw its revenue grow by 13.8%, up 5.5% in 2017. If you want to use the more generous core revenue numbers, they increased by nearly 19%. But here's the thing. When SVKM came public, investors were clamoring for it like it's another rapidly expanding service as a, uh, software as a service or SaaS company. The problem is going a lot more slowly than those companies. Don't get me wrong, Wall Street loves accelerating revenue growth, but 14%, that's not the stuff that dreams are made of. On top of that, SVMK is still losing money, and the company's free cash flow only went positive last year. Now, this would be one thing if SVMK was actually a fresh-faced startup that's still establishing itself. We got no problem with growth-oriented companies losing money, right? So they, they can invest to expand their business in the future. I think that's terrific. But there is nothing fresh-faced about SurveyMonkey. This thing was a creation of the dot-com era. SurveyMonkey's nearly 20 years old. If SurveyMonkey were a person, it would be old enough to vote. So the fact that it's not yet profitable is less than ideal. Had I been back here, I would have gone... All right, how about the user base? In the first half of the year, the company saw its paying users increase by... 3%. That's actually down from a 5% increase last year. On the other hand, the average revenue per user grew by 14%, which is a big pickup versus 2017. Again, though, these are not the numbers you'd expect from a turbocharged growth stock. SurveyMonkey is not a cloud king. It's not a cloud prince. It's a cloud commoner. So can the company get its business growing fast enough to justify the stock's sky-high valuation? Well, SurveyMonkey has a plan. They want to do a better job of upselling and cross-selling within their existing user base, something that seems to be working based on a higher average revenue per user. We like that. And they have a ton of individual customers who use their survey software for business purposes. The company thinks they can make a lot of money by converting those individual users into corporate-level contracts with larger organizations. At the same time, SurveyMonkey is investing heavily in international growth, which last year only accounted for 35% of the company's sales. So where do I come down on this one? Consider me skeptical. While SurveyMonkey has a well-known brand, I worry that it might be a dinosaur. 
I got to ask you, who needs surveys in a world where Google and Apple and Amazon already know everything about you? I mean, there's a pretty good chance your email provider has an algorithm reading all your correspondence. Do they really need surveys to know what you think? I don't think so. In other words, in a world where Salesforce.com can already give companies an incredible read on what their customers want, is there really a place, a need for SurveyMonkey? Well, Salesforce seems to think so. In fact, this is the single most positive thing I can say about the SVMK IPO. At the same time as the deal, uh, Salesforce bought $40 million worth of stock at the deal price. So $12 a share and Salesforce typically, well, let's say they know what they're doing. Uh, That made me think, you know what, maybe it's not as bad. On the other hand, SurveyMonkey has a lot of financial red flags. Like I told you before, the actual revenue growth is downright unimpressive, and the meager 3% increase in paid users, that's actually anemic. All of that could be forgiven if the company was profitable, but the losses are actually getting wider. SurveyMonkey last, uh, lost $24 million last year. They lost another $27.2 million just in the first half of 2018. Widening losses are not what you want to see from a tech IPO. And while the balance sheet isn't particularly bad, it's not exactly pristine either, even after the company used the majority of its IPO proceeds to pay off about a third of its debt. I'm also concerned about SurveyMonkey's ability to find new paying users. These guys have a simple freemium uh, business model, give away a cheap version of the product, and then charge out users to upgrade to the fancier version. Hey, listen, we've seen this model, right? It's the same thing as Dropbox. We interviewed them last week. But uh, Dropbox has got a much faster growth and much larger user base, but its stock has been kind of a dud. SurveyMonkey is no Dropbox. Making matters worse, Google has now thrown their hat in the online survey ring with Google Forms, and you never want to compete with Google. SurveyMonkey will tell you they have a superior product, but I think that may be beside the point. Google has the eyeballs. But the real problem with SurveyMonkey is the valuation. Stock is trading at 7.8 times this year's sales, not earnings, sales, making it more expensive than Box or Dropbox, and, uh, and only marginally cheaper than a cloud king like Splunk. Needless to say, it has much slower growth than any of these companies. At $16, it's just too expensive. At $12, where it came public, its valuation will be much closer to software companies with similar financials. The bottom line, look, I like SurveyMonkey. I like SurveyMonkey, the product. But I can't justify buying SurveyMonkey, the stock. Sure, Salesforce bought a ton, huge, huge slug of stock in this thing, but they did it at $12 a share. If SurveyMonkey pulls back to those levels, we can revisit it. For now, though, I'd say steer clear of SurveyMonkey. How about we go to Charles in Georgia? Charles. Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, uh, I've got a question about uh, uh, Pivotal, a ticker, PVTL. Right. Uh, despite uh, a pretty go- a good uh, a quarter uh, beat on the top and bottom, and uh, but it still got it still got killed and it's, it's still getting killed. Is that a representative of just the the cloud stocks? Because the same thing happened to Zora. Well, yeah, to some stock. degree, but I, I disagree with you about the quarter. I did not think the quarter was as great as you're describing. I think there were real flies in the quarter. There weren't really any flies on the Zora quarter, but that stock had gotten too expensive. I want to steer clear of Pivotal. I like VMware more. I say no to Pivotal, too dangerous. Sure, SurveyMonkey had an incredible IPO last week, but it's just too hot for me right now. Much more man money had since Amazon first launched in 1994 selling books. It has continued to disrupt industries across the globe. But does it ent- its entry into market spell an almost certain death for competitors? I'm eyeing the Amazon effect. Then, it's a company that works with some of the world's largest technology and digital media companies. But 
Could it be worth owning? I'll reveal the name when I turn in tonight's homework. Plus, the Fed played a key role in our comeback. But have its actions also caused sectors like the home builders to take a beating? I'm digging in to tell you why this matters right now. So stay with Kramer. Whenever Amazon announces its plans to dominate some new corner of the retail landscape, like it just did with the mattress industry after the close setting, whole swaths of the market get mowed down. Like infantrymen at Verdun. That's why we call Amazon the Death Star here. It's a super weapon with the power to disrupt any industry. Or at least that's the theory. In practice, Amazon's often a lot less terrifying than it seems. Don't get me wrong, this is one of my favorite companies, but that doesn't mean a little competition from Amazon is always the kiss of death. As I've told you before, these Amazon-induced sell-offs often turn out to be terrific buying opportunities. Buy, buy, buy! Because the reality simply isn't as bad as people expect it to be. Some companies are able to survive and even thrive after a blast from the Death Star. So tonight I want to check in on those Amazon survivors, the stocks that have developed force fields to withstand the Death Star's rays. We've seen this in industry after industry. In July, for instance, last year, Amazon bought Whole Foods. Whole grocery group got completely obliterated. Costco, Kroger, Sprouts, they all sold off hard. But if you circle back a few months later, some of the most badly damaged supermarket stocks had rallied 20 to 40 percent from their lows. It was a stunning rebound. We know the supermarket stocks were a good trade thanks to the Amazon-related meltdown. But were they also good investments? Let's see. It's been roughly 15 months since Amazon acquired Whole Foods. In that period, Costco's rallied more than 56%, trouncing the performance of the overall market. The company's been posting incredible same-store sales growth. They're talking high single digits, even low double digits. Those are numbers that most big box stores would kill for. Hard to believe that Costco is about to be annihilated by Amazon anytime soon. Can Costco keep running? Company reports on Thursday night, and it's possible for the stock, it, let's just say it might be priced for perfection. So let's see what they have to say. How about Kroger, KR, largest supermarket chain in America? This stock has been much tougher to own than Costco. You've had some really rough earnings, so it's been pretty volatile. But the darn thing still has rallied more than 46% from its lows last October, more than triple the 15% gain in the S&P over the same period. Of course, when Kroger reported its latest quarter last month, the stock lost 10% in a single session. Because the numbers were just so darn ugly. My view, Kroger's still one of the best running grocery chains around. And management has a plan to turn things around. But the company's become maddeningly inconsistent, and the stock's a real wild trader. I wouldn't buy it unless you're prepared for some whiplash. As for Sprouts Farmer's Market, it's up 55% from its lows in the wake of Amazon's tie-up with Whole Foods. 55%. My fear with Sprouts, stocks run up so dramatically in the last few months that it would be reckless not to take some profits. That is a high-quality problem when you think about it. Heck, even Super Value, the most troubled player in the group, actually caught a takeover bid back in July from United Natural Foods. If you bought this thing when everyone was freaking out about the Death Star, well, you'd have at least a double. Now, lately, the analysts have started fretting that the supermarkets could see some serious erosion of their already razor-thin margins. And since 20 to 25 percent of our food is imported, they could be hit hard by the tariffs. Although the fact that the president made a deal with Canada rather than pulling out of our free trade pact is very good news for the group. My view, I like Costco because it's got something the others don't have, a membership model where they pay, them, where they pay you 
Uh, you pay, I'm sorry, you pay them for fantastic deals. And you know what? That's really where they make all their money. Uh, the rest of the supermarkets, they've run up too dramatically, and there's nothing wrong with ringing the register. Costco, again, reports this week, don't go crazy. Who else counts as an Amazon survivor? Early last year, we learned that the retail Death Stars were setting a site on the do-it-yourself auto parts market. This, one, uh, this was one problem among many, but it added fuel to the fire, helping to drag advanced auto parts down 53%. AutoZone lost 37%. O'Reilly Automotive plunged 39%. So last December, I told you the group looked attractive. The stocks had come down too far too fast, and all three looked incredibly cheap to me. You know what? That's a good call. Advanced Autos rallied 70% year-to-date. O'Reilly's up 43% one year-to-date. Only AutoZone is lagging. It's up about 8% year-to-date. And I didn't even nail uh, the bottom. If you caught them a few months earlier, your gains would have been even more spectacular. Advanced Auto's been putting up terrific earnings, along with a monster buyback. O'Reilly's been doing great. AutoZone's a little more complicated. The latest quarter was widely considered to be disappointing, which is why the stock sold off last month. But AutoZone is the value name of the group. Its stock's insanely cheap. It sells for just 12.6 times next year's earnings. Maybe that's why management announced a gigantic $1.25 billion buyback, equal to about 6% of the share count just last week. And the stock is now above where it was trading when the so-called botch quarter was reported. Look, I think this group has a whole lot going for it. We know people are buying more and more used cars these days, and used cars need more maintenance. Amazon clearly hasn't wrecked their business model. I think Advance Auto and O'Reilly are both good cheap growth stocks. But AutoZone impresses me as an absurdly cheap value play. And we know they're fighting back against online competition with their own next day home delivery service. That's a buy here. Now, sometimes Amazon focuses its laser beam on single companies rather than an entire industry. Look at Kramer fave Etsy, the online Brooklyn marketplace for all sorts of handcrafted goods. Amazon was supposed to crush him with Amazon Handmade, launched a few months after Etsy's IPO in 2015. Instead, Etsy's been a champ that's made people fortunes. Stock's more than quadrupled since I started recommending it in May of 2016. Last year, Amazon tried again, launching a new handmade gift shop. Again, Etsy's stock got dinged. And again, that turned out to be a terrific buying opportunity. But people refused to learn. When Amazon rolled out their storefronts initiative last month, again, Etsy sold off 5%. Stocks already started rebounding. I think it has more room to run. The fact is, sellers love using Etsy's platform. They've given thousands of small businesses access to a much larger market. And buyers keep coming back, too, which is why Amazon's had real trouble displacing them. We just bought handmade aprons for a new restaurant in Brooklyn. Where we buy them? Of course, Etsy. Finally, let's not forget about the pharmacy space. CVS sold off hard when we learned that Amazon was getting into the drug business with its acquisition of PillPack. But now the stock's rallied more than 24% from its August lows caused by Amazon. I think CVS Health has a bright future with its acquisition of Aetna. Moving into the insurance space, I like that deal. The bottom line? I adore Amazon. There's not even an issue, okay? But that doesn't mean every industry they try to disrupt is just going to fold like a house of cards. So the next time you hear about them entering a new market and you see a group of stocks get eviscerated, think twice before you sell. History says it might turn out to be a terrific buying opportunity. Let's go to Aaron in Texas. Aaron. Hey, Jim. Aaron. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for taking call, Jim. Uh, of course. Huge fan. Started with your book, Stay Mad oh, for Life, thank you. and on thank your new you. one now, man. Thanks for all the knowledge, sir. Thank you. Thank Calling you very much. you about Copart today, sir. CPRT bought in about two years ago. Caught a split, wrote it up to 60 and sold. Uh, just bought it back last week. Really like it because I think it's different from all the other automotive stocks out there. 
I think it capitalizes on a lot from storing vehicles from insurance companies, wholesale and retail auto auctions, uh, scrap and parts. They're global. But remember, they they did miss the quarter. And therefore, they're in the penalty box with mad money. I do like the business model. We actually talked about this stock about 10 years ago. But because they missed the quarter, I cannot, Aaron, recommend the stock. I'm sorry. Let's go uh, to to Doug. Oops, that's it. Sorry. Okay. Well, we'll get Doug next time, all right? Amazon, the death killer, no more, all right? Sure, it's a powerful force, but some companies are able to survive and even thrive the disruption. Look at this. What a great group of stocks. Much more mad money ahead. It's an update for the market, but don't let your guard down. I'm explaining why a weak jobs number this week could ratchet up fear of the dreaded R word, recession, even though I don't believe it. Plus, good news, if the dog ate your homework, I did it for you, and it could make you money. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. It's every bit as good. There's a lot of new good things on the menu. I think it's more delicious than ever. What? Kramer, more delicious than ever. (laughs) It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. someone asks me about a stock and I can't give them a considered answer on the spot, I always circle back to it because I'm here to help you. That's the whole point of mad money. So with that in mind, it's time to catch up on some homework. Way back on July 19th, yeah, it's been that long that we haven't done homework, Lenny from New York called in to ask about Switch. That's S-W-C-H for you home gamers. And I said I needed to check up on this one before I rendered a verdict. So what does Switch do? This is a company that builds and operates what are known as hyperscale data centers. Don't be intimidated. It's a gigantic repositories of digital information packed to the gills with servers. In short, Switch is plugged into one of the great secular growth stories of our era. With the rise of the cloud, all sorts of enterprises are embracing software as a service. There's that SaaS again. Rather than using old-fashioned on-premise software, meaning that's the stuff that's located in your building and it costs a lot of money and it takes up a lot of space, it's where you need uh, to store everything on your own servers, and it's a very uneconomic way to do things versus the cloud. With the cloud, you store everything on a data center servers. So in the name of efficiency, you end up with these enormous warehouses full of stacks upon stacks of computers, but it's not easy running a data center. You need massive amounts of electricity, ideally from redundant power sources, so your clients don't get angry if there's a blackout. And you need to keep all those servers cool. The air conditioning built for these places would give you a heart attack. This is where Switch comes in. They build high-quality data centers powered 100% by renewable energy. Isn't that great? In fact, they arguably have the best carrier-neutral facilities in the world. A lot of this comes down to technology invented by Switch's founder and CEO, Rob Roy. Hey, a great Liam Neeson movie. Right now, the company operates three primary campuses, two in Nevada at Las Vegas and Reno, third at Grand Rapids, Michigan. There's a fourth being built in Atlanta. However, at the end of the day, even the best-designed, best-managed data center on Earth is still basically just a bunch of computers sitting in a warehouse. So when Switch came public last October with the stock roaring from 17 to 20, and 20 and change, right out of the gate, I told you it was too expensive. Stay away. I want you to steer clear. You don't want to pay a premium for something that's effectively a commodity. Since then, the stock has plunged to 10 bucks and change. This thing's almost been cut in half. My only regret was that I wasn't even more negative. <laughs> 
Switch's last quarters, well, they've been pretty darn disappointing. Companies slashing its earnings estimates the last time they reported. The culprit, management blame, and I get this, quote, Several deals closing later than originally anticipated, as enterprise customers are taking additional time to evaluate the design of their long-term developments to take advantage of Switch's new program for enterprise hybrid cloud. Translation, customers aren't biting like they used to. Yikes! Not long after the quarter, we learned that Intel's venture capital arm was going to sell most of its shares in Switch. Sell, 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 sell. With no explanation. Although when you consider the numbers this company's been put up to, they really need an explanation. And look, even after being cut in half, Switch, the stock, is still expensive. It sells for around 51 times next year's earnings estimates. That's a rich valuation for a company that keeps missing its numbers and much more expensive than the rest of the group. Long story short, yeah, there's a lot of demand for data centers, but that doesn't mean you want to own a stock like Switch. This thing's been a house of pain. A house of pain. I think you should avoid it. Next up on August 7th, James in California wanted to know about Grand Canyon Education. Symbol LOPE, L-O-P-E, like cantaloupe or jackalope. And I said I'd get back to it. This is one of those for-profit university companies, but it's got a wacky kind of story here. Earlier this year, Grand Canyon, which at the prime was both for a a for-profit college, Grand Canyon University, and a service provider for other schools, announced a breakup plan. They would turn the actual university into a nonprofit with the services business sticking around as Grand Canyon Education. They finished the transformation three months ago. While the company still operates Grand Canyon University, the school now belongs to the nonprofit. And their business is all about selling these same services to other colleges and universities. So how do we feel about the new Grand Canyon? Look, this stock has been on fire, rallying more than 50% in 2017 and putting on another 26% year to date. The company's profitable. Stock trades at just 22 times next year's earnings estimates, which is pretty cheap when you consider it's got 17% long-term growth. 22, 17, hmm. Now, the stock has come down about 10 bucks from its highs over the summer. You know what? I think it's attractive here. Bye, bye, bye! The for-profit education industry tends to thrive under Republican presidents, as Democrats tend to view the whole business as, as something that's predatory. So I think you can put on a small speculative position in Grand Canyon here. But wait until after the election to buy more, because the stock might sell off if the Democrats take Congress. Finally, on August 13th, Ed in Georgia asked me about Green Sky, GSKY. I said I'd circle back. Green Sky is a financial technology company, FinTech, that helps people buy things on credit. They make it easy for merchants to hook potential customers up with bankers who'd be willing to give them loans on the spot. We've heard a lot about how the traditional banks have seen slowing uh, loan growth. And one of the reasons is that the rise of non-traditional lenders, like those who are enabled by Green Skies technology. Now, this company came public in the spring, but since then, the stock has come down more than 21%. Why? Because when Green Sky reported its first quarter right out of the gate, it was widely viewed as disappointing. In reality, though, the numbers were simply good, but not great which is why the stock has been rebounding over the past couple of months. My view, this is a fintech company with 28% revenue growth that's selling for 20 times next year's earnings estimates. So I have to tell you, consider me intrigued. You have my blessing to buy it, but again, only for speculation. Mad Money is back after the break. It is time! It's on the and then the lightning round's over. Are you ready? Skate Daddy, time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Doug in your Doug. Good afternoon, Jim. How are you? I am good, Doug. How about you? Good, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. First time caller here. Excellent. Ooh, yeah. That's what we want. 
Uh, recently saw that Snap Inc. and Amazon had a collaboration where you can now click and buy directly through the Snap Inc. Do you think this is going to be a disruptor for the market? And- no, I tell you, the Snap is just drifting lower. I have no edge. Don't feel like you can buy it here. Just don't see a lot of good there. Let's go to Chris in New York. Chris! Hey, Jim, this is Chris calling out of Buffalo, New York. Booyah! Oh, Booyah! How's it going up there? We, we love your family. Me, my mom, my little sister, we all watch your show every night. Thank you. I love that. Thank you very much. How can I help? We've been looking at a stock. Want to know if it's the right time to buy. The stock is called Blackstone. All right. Well, it's come up a little bit from its high, but the answer is absolutely. They're very smart guys, and they're doing a terrific job. I need to go to Randy in Ohio. Randy. Yes. How are you? I am good, Randy. How about you? Uh, yep, good. I had a question here about NovoCure. I bought it at twenty. Should I keep holding it? Well, you have to take, you know, you got to take some off. Play with the house's money. That's a very big gain. We have been behind this stock since the teens. We believe in the in the technology. Still amazed that it hasn't been acquired. I like the stock. Bye bye bye. Again, I would do a little schnitzel. Let's go to Ricky in California. Ricky. Hey, Mr. Kramer. Booyah from San Francisco. How are you? I like that. We were just out there. What's up? Hey, nice. Hey, what to ask about Lululemon? Okay, Lululemon hit a 52-week high today. That said, I still believe, just like Ollie's, Lulu and Ollie's. Thank you so much, Matthew Boss, for some really great picks. Lulu, Ollie's, and Burlington. By the way, I do like Under Armour. Let's go to Jeff in Wisconsin. Jeff. Yes, sir, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for your education and your money-saving tips. That's what I want to do. How can I help? Granite Construction, GVA. Nah, I mean, I was looking at Martin Marietta Materials this weekend in Vulcan. I just don't like this group. It's too hard. Stocks with, you know, they need infrastructure built. They don't have it. Trent in California. Trent! Booyah, Jim Kramer. Booyah, Trent. From the hometown of Fresno State, uh, Derek Carr with the Oakland Raiders. There you go. How you doing? Man, what an arm. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Bob, a stock. Starbucks. Starbucks. What do you stock think about Starbucks? Stock acted very weak today. I got to tell you, I still think this is not the quarter. They are buying back stock left and right. I think Kevin Johnson's doing a great job, but I don't want to buy it until I see the this quarter's being, you know, booked because I think it's just going to be okay. How about Brian in Texas? Brian. Brian in uh, Texas. Jim, thanks for taking my call. It's always a little surreal talking to you. I like but it. My first, my first question comes with love. How many seconds on the clock when the Cowboys won? Well, I know. I watched that end. Jeez, you know, it's incredible. Uh, good for you. I mean, you know, good for you. It was a good game. Detroit has really snaked it. What's up? Uh, Jim, it was last Wednesday that by that time the utilities were down so much. I was terribly in the house of pain. But I raised some cash and bought a little more, and they've been up. So that covers some sins. But, Jim, I have what we think is the best utility out there. Why does it always seem like... Uh, the XLU, the utility ETF, is outperforming it. I'm talking about Mr. Red, Con All right. Ed. All right. What stock? Con Ed. Oh, Con Ed is very good. Now, I wish it were yielding 4%. I would buy half now, and if it came under 4%, I would buy the other half, but not until then. Let's go to Dan in New York. Dan. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I am good. How about you, Dan? Good. How about a stock? Weight Watchers, WTW. Uh, no edge? Don't buy. Don't buy. Stocks don't moved buy. a lot. Let's go to Bob in California. Bob! Boo-haw, Kramer. Yeah, hoo-haw, back. 
What's up? U UAA. Under, oh, Under Armour, I think, is bottoming. You can go higher. I think the inventories are very clean. I like the stock very much. I need to go to Kevin in California. Kevin. Booyah, Jim. Calling about AK Steel. No, we don't want to touch that. No, no. I'm looking by Chapel Charles on Nucor. That's tough enough. Only Allegheny's been working well. And that's stainless steel, and that's why. How about we go to Joe in Texas? Joe! Booyah from the great state of Texas, Jim. First time caller. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What's up? My question is about IBM. They're trading at 12 and a half times next year's earnings, close to 4% dividend yield, and their revenues are starting to show some growth again. What are your thoughts? I agree for exactly the reason you say I think IBM is a buy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I'm a big believer in using fabulous days like today to go over what we're worried about. And the one thing that really does worry me about, and this hasn't been, this is a new position for me. What worries me is the Fed. Look, so far the Fed's had an excellent track record during this impressive comeback from the Great Recession. Now, some of you may regard the turn as anemic, but while it took a long time to get to a 3.7% unemployment, the fact that we've gotten here without much of a pickup in inflation tells you the Fed's done a magnificent job. However, even after this weekend's positive trade news, I feel a bit of trepidation in the wake of the Fed's most recent rate. I can only tell you why. First, while short-term rates went higher, long-term rates failed to go anywhere. And since banks make money on the difference between the short rates and the long rates, their margins are going to get crushed here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hence why the stocks have given up all of their gains and then some. Now, we need the banks to keep lending. And we're hearing too many tales of slowing regional loan growth to make me feel sanguine about this yield curve. The regional banks, by the way, worst stocks in the book. Second, you can't, you can't turn a blind eye to the lousy action in the housing stocks. We've had a series of very strong quarters from the home builders, yet it, it hasn't really meant a thing for their ever-declining stocks. As Jeffrey Metzger, the CEO of KB Homes, said on his conference call, I have seen all the coverage in the media in the investors' world on where we're at the cycle. And I keep getting back to the current inventory levels, which are low. And while the national numbers are four months, many of the markets we're in today are at two months, month and a half. And then when you get to the price points we're in, it's even less. Well, in other words, the home building business is terrific. But Wall Street is terrified that it can't stay terrific. Metzger blames the media for focusing on what could go wrong in the future. But the real culprit is the Federal Reserve. When the Fed tightened last week, it immediately signaled that it would give us another rate hike this year and then three more next year. Why the heck did they do that? What was the point? That's not what I'd call data dependent. And with the Fed set to tighten aggressively, it's no wonder people don't believe the home building renaissance can last, especially since the most expensive homes aren't moving like they used to. The weakness in housing-related stocks like Masco, Fortune Brands, Owens Courting, it's downright unnerving. Every one of those stocks is in genuine bear market territory. Third, how can you not worry about the auto cycle, even after the trade agreements? The auto stocks are lapping some difficult comparisons because of Hurricane Harvey, but Florence should give them a lift as insurance payments let people buy new cars. Yet no one seems to care. Ford sports a 6% yield. And even though the company seems certain that it doesn't want or need to cut the dividend, I think you have to be concerned here. Meanwhile, AutoNation, the car dealership chain, will hit yet another 52-week low. 
Jeez, the best you can say for them is that, that it might be something secular. Millennials not driving as much, the rise of scooters, the cost of student loans, the advent of Uber. Granted, the whole American oil industry got a nice boost from the president's new trade deal with Canada. But the fact that Ford and GM only rallied a little bit on the news tells you everything you need to know. Finally, there were some discouraging statistics out of China this weekend, a definitive slowing in both manufacturing and, more important, exports. Now, you can spin this as a positive because it means maybe they're more likely to give them the president's demand on trade, but it's not good for the world's economy. Remember, this bull market's not just about America. It's about synchronized global growth, and that narrative is being challenged everywhere. Britain's in danger of a no-deal Brexit. Germany's banks are weakened. Latin America sluggish. Italy, so many problems, and now China's slowing, too. What makes this so important right now? Simple. We get the Labor Department's non-farm payroll numbers on Friday at 8.30. If they're weak, all these forces will come into play, and the recession drumbeat will be too loud to ignore. I am not saying that will definitely happen. We could get a great number, but it's an ugly possibility that we at least have to look out for. Stick with Craig. Tonight at 10 on an all-new American Greed, it's the gold standard of fraud. See how a former politician and Christian radio talk show host convinces believers to sink their savings into his $26 million scheme. It's buyer beware tonight on American Greed. Watch so you don't get taken. I'd like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.